If you want to keep that passage open, we're going to reflect in particular at Jesus' encounter with that storm with his disciples in the boat today. Well, it's hard to grab our attention these days. It takes a fair bit to create a sense of amazement for us as a society. I mean, we're all amazed by different and smaller things. There are individual things that grab our attention and give us a sense of amazement. But as a culture, collectively, there aren't many things that grab all of our attention. It actually hasn't been this way. Throughout history, we've seen that, in fact, usually... When one person was interested in something, uh, lots of people were interested in things. In the Middle Ages, people were amazed by power, wealth and pageantry. In the early 20th century, in the Industrial Revolution, uh, previous to the 20th century, in the Industrial Revolution, people were amazed by all kinds of machines. In the early 20th century, people were marvelled by discoveries that prolonged life, the speed of cars, the possibility of air travel, communication. And by the 1960s, lots of people were amazed by space and space travel. But it seems now that it takes a fair bit to grab all of our attention the accelerating flow of inventions and their rapid dissemination throughout the world have meant that we're numb. We're numb to being amazed. And even perhaps the most amazing things seem to many quite common. We've been saturated with amazement. We're cynical with claims of the amazing. But the loss of control over our lives in the last six weeks has grabbed our attention. It's grabbed all of our attention. There is really not one segment of our society that hasn't been touched in the last six or so weeks. It's been said that our society is fragmented and it's not much that brings us together. Well, if anything has brought us together, it's been the corona crisis. I've been I found myself very early in this situation uh, with referring to or even starting pretty well every conversation with a person that I met. Crazy times, huh? It's crazy. Uh, it's crazy what we've been through. And it's crazy because there was and is still a sense of amazement. What is going on? How could this be? How could everything have changed in such a dramatic and profound way? There's been a jolt of amazement with the staggering, unprecedented global changes that we've seen. Today in our passage, we're going to see people who have been struck by amazement. But their amazement is, in one sense, not dissimilar to ours. Their amazement is in their circumstances, but through those circumstances, there is an amazement that, grab, that grabs them, that holds their attention and forces them to ask some very serious questions. It's the amazement of their encounter with the Lord Jesus. Because Jesus is the only person throughout all time who still amazes people. He still captures so many. And it's today that we're going to look 
at the incredible encounter that Jesus has with this storm. See, the person of Jesus amidst these times is still the person to grapple with who he is and what he was about remains a very current question. The disciples had been growing in their amazement of the Lord Jesus. At the end of the Sermon of the Mount, we read that when Jesus had finished speaking, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. The disciples, as part of these crowds, just like the others, were amazed as they heard Jesus teach on the mountain these incredible words, these words that had behind them such authority, were staggering and incredible to those who heard them. And it wasn't just Jesus' words on the mountain. When he came down off that mountain, there at the start of chapter 8, Jesus expresses not just his authority in words, but in actions. He begins to heal people, and those who see him heal grow in their amazement. The disciples had observed Jesus' authority over sickness in healing the leper that we saw last week, in the servant of the Roman centurion, in Peter's mother-in-law, as well as unnamed others in our reading from Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. But in this final section of our reading, we see that there is a new area of life, one that the disciples haven't yet seen, that Jesus commands authority over. Jesus displays his authority over nature. And next week, as we read the next section, we're going to see that Jesus displays his authority over the spiritual forces, over demons. But today we're going to see that Jesus displays his authority over nature. And the disciples are amazed as Jesus commands the storm to be stilled. Have a look at the start there at Matthew chapter 8, verse 27. Their response to Jesus' uh, stilling of the storm is one of amazement. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is, man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. However, the story of Jesus calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee is more than simply a moment of amazement for his followers. It's actually a story about discipleship and faith. Because without faith, there can be no discipleship. And what we see in our section today is the camera of Matthew's gospel moves from these crowds who have heard the Sermon of the Mount, who are following Jesus as he performs healings and miracles the camera moves in to focus on that small group of inner circle. It moves to have a look at the disciples' faith. And what we're going to see as the camera zooms in, we're going to see that their faith appears, at least in Jesus' mind at this particular time, to be shallow. This beginning of the stilling of the storm frames the whole account. Jesus comes off the mountain. 
He performs healings to those who are sick. And now, here in in the section before, in verses 18 to 22, there's a connection. There's a connection between Jesus' encounter with the storm and what comes before. Because we see that in the first line there, that those who follow Jesus, these disciples, follow Jesus into the boat. But before Matthew gets to that section, uh, he wedges just this interlude, a little piece about some failed disciples, about those who would like to follow Jesus, but it seems as though they don't or can't. And it comes in verses 18 to 22. We meet two men, both of whom express a wish to follow Jesus. The first said, I will follow you wherever you go. But after Jesus explained that he had no place to lay his head there in verse 20, it appears the man did not continue to follow. The second potential disciple wanted to attend to his family duties first. He wanted to stay at home until his father died and he could bury him. But Jesus said there in verse 22, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. See, according to Jesus, nothing can come before a deliberate, active and practical following for the one who wants to be a disciple. Now, in the first line of this new story, the story of the stilling of the storm, we read then, there in verse 23, then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Two Potential disciples don't follow Jesus. But there in verse 23, we've got some different kind of disciples. No, they do follow Jesus. But we see very shortly that these disciples had very little idea of who it was that they were following. I'm sure for many of us watching here and being part of our service here this morning, we, we would say that we follow Jesus. Jesus is the one who we trust. Jesus is the one who guides the direction of our life. Well, that was the case for these disciples, but Jesus takes them on a journey to deepen and grow their faith. And I believe in the last six weeks, Jesus has been taking us on a journey. He's been taking us on a journey to grow our faith. And we'll see how he grows the faith of his disciples here in this account. Because It's hard to know what the disciples thought of their own selves and their faith, but according to Jesus, as we'll see in a moment, their faith was lacking. They were following Jesus and they had left their houses. They had left their family. They, In many ways, they'd done better than the guy just before them. They'd left their land and occupations to be with Jesus. In chapter 4 of Matthew's Gospel, we're told that Peter and Andrew left their nets And James and John left the boat with their father. And in chapter 9, we're told that Matthew abandoned his tax collector booth and followed Jesus. You see, these disciples were following Jesus. They knew Jesus. Jesus knew them. But there was a great deal that they needed to learn about what it was to follow Jesus. 
And so that leads us to ask ourselves, how has Jesus been growing our faith? How have we been following him? We have to ask ourselves, have we left lesser loyalties of family, of wealth and of occupation? See, it's not merely enough for us to be impressed with Jesus. To be a Christian isn't someone who is simply amazed by Jesus, who believes an account of him healing a leper. That's not what it is to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to leave everything to follow Jesus. Following Jesus takes precedence over everything else in our lives. That's what it is to be a Christian. And for those who claim to be Christian, for those of us who follow the Lord Jesus, we're going to see how he strengthens the faith of those who would leave, who would be prepared to leave or to follow him. See, the disciples had some faith. Uh, If they didn't have any faith, they wouldn't have been following Jesus. They wouldn't have entered the boat with him. But their faith needed to become stronger. The story is told of Jesus stilling the storm in all three synoptic gospels, in the gospels that are similar, Matthew, Mark um, and Luke. And the crowds who were following Jesus, followed Jesus, it would seem, for more than just his teaching, they wanted the healings. And so Jesus gets into a boat to escape the pressing crowds. And he escapes in a boat to cross the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is about 30 kilometres long from north to south and 15 kilometres wide. But the Sea of Galilee is 680 feet below sea level. And that means that uh, uncommon cold winds from western mountains could rush down those gullies and whip up a storm. A storm, a flat sea, could be turned into raging violence in just moments. And this is what it seems has happened as Jesus is on this boat, escaping the crowds with his disciples. This uh, storm, this furious storm comes up and the waves threaten to engulf this boat and the disciples are sure that they are going to drown you see suddenly suddenly the disciples lives are out of control suddenly these disciples lives are at breaking point and in many ways that's what's happened for us in the last six weeks suddenly out of nowhere we've been forced through circumstances external to us powerful forces have come across us. And for many of us, it's felt like our lives have been out of control. For many of us, it's felt as though our lives were at breaking point. We've felt out of control, not just in our individual lives, but collectively. And what we have here is this vivid an incredible demonstration in the midst of people who feel like 
their lives are out of control. What we have is the one who brings control and authority to chaos. He brings peace to the storm and the raging waters. See, where is Jesus? Well, Jesus, we know from other gospel accounts, is asleep in the stern, resting on a cushion, Mark records. Jesus must have been exhausted from teaching the crowds and his fatigue explains why he's escaping these crowds. But the disciples aren't concerned about Jesus' fatigue. No, they're concerned about their circumstances. And they cry desperately there in verse 25, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And in many ways, the disciples have done the right kind of thing. The thing that we would expect. They're in a desperate circumstance. They're appealing to Jesus to help them. And so should we. But Jesus has a problem with the disciples. And the problem was not that they turned to him. I think the problem was that they didn't really know the one that they turned to. The one who was with them in the boat. They were afraid of dying when they should have known that Jesus would care for them and preserve them, even from the storm. They should have known, as one writer put it, no water can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. They come to Jesus desperate. They come to Jesus, in fact, fearful. And Jesus responds to their fear. There in verse 26, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? See, Jesus presents to those who would follow him a stark alternative, one of either fear or faith. Because the basic assumption behind those two options for those who follow Jesus, the basic assumption behind it, is that when the believer holds fully to the one who holds the world in his hands, the world has no hold um, over. The world has no hold over that person. You see, there is no fear that can overcome when we know the one who controls every moment of our lives, every circumstance of our lives, and more than that, More than his control, but his care in his control. See, behind all this is the Lord Jesus. Behind the circumstances of our world, the chaos and the storm that we face is the Lord Jesus. And it can seem as though he is sleeping. And perhaps to some that he doesn't care. But here in Matthew's Gospel, we're reminded that Jesus is the one who cares. Jesus is the one who holds all authority over creation in our world, across any any power that would oppose humanity. And into that moment of chaos, Jesus provides an opportunity to grow the faith of his disciples. With the language of exorcism there in verse 26, Jesus gets up and rebukes 
rebukes the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. What we have here is the very one who has brought creation into being. We have the demonstration of his power over that creation. Um, We've had a puppy for the past close to two years, and uh, our puppy tends to bark. And no amount of my screaming, threatening, running at him, running from him, nothing I do seems to stop his barking. I have very little control. Here Jesus is in supreme control. Supreme control of what feels to his disciples life-threatening situa- a life-threatening situation. And it reminds us, too, as Christian people, that there will be one day a, a day for which Jesus will bring ultimate peace to our world. In Psalm 63, the psalmist asks, Who is it that stills the storming seas? And the question is answered in the psalm, it's God. You see, as these disciples are with Jesus in the boat, they're not just with a man who brings amazement to people. They're not one who just not with one who just heals. They're with God Himself, the one who made creation, the one who sustains creation, and the one who cares for those that would follow him. You see, this story ends with two important questions. The first is obvious. The first is the question that the disciples ask, who is this? The answer to that question is, this is Jesus, the Lord of all. This is Jesus, the king of our world. This is Jesus who is in the boat with his disciples. This is Jesus who says at the very end of this gospel, in the same way that he was with them in the boat, Jesus says that he is with us to the end of the age. Jesus is with us no matter what happens, no matter what storms would come, no matter what fear might rise up in us, we have a decision. Will we trust the Lord Jesus in faith or will we be overcome by fear? The second question this passage asks us is not simply who is Jesus, but who are we? See, we are people. We are people that Jesus cares for. We are people that Jesus cares for despite our circumstances. And here what we have wonderfully is the Bible is realistic about the struggle of faith. Here is the portrayal of an ordinary Christian person, one who faces trials, difficult circumstances, who in some way fails in their faith. But Jesus doesn't walk away from these disciples. He stays close with them. He stays close with them to teach them. And that's what I believe Jesus is doing for us. In the last six weeks, he's staying with us. He's teaching us what it is to trust in him in difficult and hard circumstances. J.C. Ryle wrote this as I close. How many have faith and love enough to forsake all for Christ's sake and to follow him whatsoever he goes and yet are full of fears in the hour of trial? How many have grace enough to turn to Jesus in every trouble crying, Lord, save us, and yet not grace enough to lie still 
and believe in the darkest hour that all is well. In the chaos of our world and in the situations that God places us in life, are we going to be calm in the knowledge that the Lord Jesus is with us as he promises he will be? Are we going to trust in our circumstances and the fear that that brings? Or are we going to trust in the Lord Jesus, his power, his authority and his promise that he will be with us to the end of the age? Amen. We're going to continue to read from the scriptures from Psalm 107, Psalm, sorry, Psalm 104, two sections from the start and from the beginning. And after Jim reads this psalm to us, we're going to pray. And I invite Jim to come and pray and read now. 